Hi, and welcome to the Chapters of Life podcast, the official podcast of Chapters Health System. I'm your host, Austin Mudd. If you're listening, chances are someone you know is affected by life-limiting illness in some way, or maybe you're a healthcare provider just wanting to learn more about how we can help your patients. Either way, our goal here at the podcast is what it's always been, dispelling those misconceptions about hospice and giving you the facts. Today, we're talking about anticipatory grief and how we prepare for the loss of a loved one. With us is Jeannie Robinson, a bereavement specialist with Life Path Hospice, and Autumn Widows, a former client of hers who's joining us from Las Vegas. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of people who can relate to what we talk about today, and I uh, just want to thank you both for being here. Yeah, thank you, Austin, for covering this topic because it does affect so many of our, so many of our families. So we'll, we'll go straight to you, Jeannie, as our subject matter expert here. How is anticipatory grief different? Um, what are the things you look out for in our families and caregivers who are experiencing this? Okay, so anticipatory grief is going to be different depending on the family, depending on the relationships, depending on the, the disease process. Uh, it's, it'll be a different experience for, for most people. Um, and it, uh, it, I had somebody describe it one time to me as the loss that is in slow motion. Uh, the family may experience uh, the loss in stages, okay? So instead of looking at the loss of the person in the person's entirety and, and the loss of the, the loved one, they may, lo- they may be experiencing the loss of the loved one's ability to walk or the loved one's ability to care for himself or herself or the loved one's ability to... Um, to shower or just some of these smaller incremental losses that are that are experienced by our patients and those each of those stages of loss uh even like the loss of being able to talk or being able to um, get together socialize with friends the loss of the ability to enjoy some of the some of the nicer parts of life uh it there's a grieving that's associated with each of those losses and there's a whole a list of symptoms that I've seen in our in our family caregivers as well. Uh, things like feeling um, feelings of anger, irritability. Um, very often, caregivers feel anxiety or can have uh, anxiety attacks or panic attacks. Um, they may feel denial. And, and these this list it isn't a list of things that everybody feels. Right. It's just things that uh, that have been ex- expressed to me that different people might feel. Um, Sometimes people will withdraw socially. Uh, A lot of that is because of the time constraints. Being a caregiver is enormously demanding. It's enormously exhausting. Uh, They might have feelings of desperation, um, feelings of guilt. Uh, And many of these feelings are going to have an intensity to them that it's it's coupled together with that feeling of knowing that there's a loss coming. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult time for the for the caregivers. So it's not just the loss it's itself. It's w- what you experience building up to it. It's that loss of function you talked about too, because I think that's something some people may not assume, um, right. that loss of function in a loved one. So that, that factors into it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's that loss of function and... The caregivers, many times the caregiver is lonely because the caregiver is taking care of the patient by himself or by herself. Um, and it's, it, that's what we don't want. We don't want somebody to feel alone. You know, that feeling of not being alone. I know you organize a support group 
at Life Path Hospice dedicated to this mm-hmm. anticipatory grief for our hospice families. Right. Um, so that's so that's really important. And Autumn, we talked a lot about your mom, and you know, you you, you kind of went through this as a caregiver, and you were working at the same time. You kind of experienced some of this anticipatory grief. You know, what was it like for you as a caregiver for your mother, and how were you connected to the support you received? Before I, um, my mom went on hospice. She, um, she was diagnosed, um, with, you know, it was, it was now, um, in a terminal, terminal stage, her, her cancer. And, um, we had like a year, almost a year of where she had palliative treatment. So, um, at the beginning of that, um, when they had the diagnosis, I, and it was really sort of, it really hit us that this was it, that we didn't have, we, we didn't know how much time we would have with her. The main thing about the anticipatory grief really kicked in when I became a caregiver, right? And I became a caregiver about, she was, she went on um, hospice in August, 2021, and then um, she died in December. And um, the anticipatory grief for me was because I was working full time um, and I, my job was very stressful as is like just being, just doing that was stressful enough. And then I was, um, primary caregiver taking care of her and my, my sister who has a developmental disability. It was, I had to face that just head for, like, I couldn't put my head in the sand. I couldn't, um, I couldn't really spend too much time, uh, indulge, I don't want to say indulging, but really just kind of spending too much time on myself, right? Like I had to basically move forward. And my mom said to me, it's like, you're just like the soldier at the front. Like you're just like literally giving everything. And I was expending a lot of my energy, just trying to make certain that my mom was really well cared for and that she was receiving the best care because I knew that, um, this was it. Like this, this was the last few months of my mother's life and I wanted her to be to be um it is have as much comfort and to know that she was loved and but it takes a toll on a person to do that and I think when you charge headfirst into things like that you don't um necessarily notice how it's impacting you until you get to a place where it's like a breaking point and mine was physical as well as mental I, I didn't feel well any enough anymore to take care of my mom. Um, counseling though, with grief therapy, with Jeannie, um, if I hadn't had that, if I had waited until my mom had passed and then started the grief therapy treatments um, and not, not had um, done one-on-ones with her for anticipatory, I think it would have been a lot harder. Like it was in some ways being able to talk to her allowed me to have the support I needed like at least um, on a psychological, you know, le- level that I didn't have necessarily from other people who, um, besides my mom, who couldn't really provide support anymore to me, right, as well as before. Yeah, and it, it's hard to find somebody who can listen exactly. during that that time period, um, because I, unless you're in the middle of the trenches it's hard to, um, it's hard to really relate. And I think that a lot of people tend to, um, to not know what to say, and they feel awkward Mm -hmm. when they see somebody else going through this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you talked about being a caregiver while working and just feeling that stress, I know that is something so many, if not all of our families feel, feel, and all of our caregivers feel. 
Um, so I'm so happy to hear that you were connected with Jeannie and that, and that helped. And, and thank you again for sharing all this. Um, so, so how did you connect with Jeannie? Cause I think a lot of people, when their loved ones go into hospice, you know, they may not be aware of all the resources that are there for them. So how did you connect with Jeannie and, and how did you find that support you needed? Oh, um, I was connected through our care team. Um, Jeannie, there were a couple of resources that, that uh, there was an, like a moment in early September that um, it wasn't a crisis, but it was, it was clear that to, to the care team that um, I needed more support than just, um, than just what was being offered. So um, I, they connected me with Jeannie and there was, there were a couple other options too, but Jeannie was the um, person that I chose. Well, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about your mom. I mean, you told us a little bit earlier. She she just sounded like an incredible person. So did you want to tell us a little bit more about her? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, my mom was a very loving and generous and kind person. She was a teacher. Um, she, she was first off, she was a musician, um, a professional musician when in her 20s. And she did a lot of cool things. And she was very humble about it. Like, she didn't go around telling anybody, you know, she had, would had, she had started on bands when she was like, like a teenager. She was a drummer. This was a time when, you know, the, you know, women didn't really consider becoming professional drummers. And she, um, she played at Carnegie Hall in New York. She was in a band that opened for Earth, Wind and Fire. Like she did things that when people knew her later in life, they, had no clue because she didn't talk about that. She didn't really make that a big point. And I think that see that's something that was really about her. Like that's that's who she was. And not everybody in not everybody in the arts is like that. So so in other words, a rock star basically. I mean my mother wasn't famous, but like um she was very humble and yeah. um she really knew good music. Like she listened to a lot. She had collected a lot of different as as musicians do a lot of eclectic styles and um, all throughout her life. She'd studied ethnomusicology for a little bit. She'd gone to Ghana. She'd done um, field recordings there back in the seventies. This is stuff that I think, you know, most people weren't even considering doing. And then of course she was a teacher. She taught in, in Hillsborough County for many years. Um, so I'm sure there were a lot of, a lot of her students that have been in some ways touched by the things that she, the the joy of music, the things that she loved about music, and she really did, and she was able to infuse that um, in most of the things that she, you know, she did for other people, music-wise, um, in terms of teaching them and getting them excited about music, and yeah, she was a wonderful person, and I still feel like the things that she taught me, I'm still learning, you know, like the things that you you remember that they you remember sayings or lessons um that your parent has um delivered to you maybe even years ago and they'll come to you in memories and you'll be like oh you know like that's what this was about oh I now I finally understand I remember she told me um when when she had my sister who has down syndrome she was like I could no longer play this game where I was um trying to keep keeping up with the Joneses or trying to be somebody that wasn't authentic in this world like I couldn't try to do that I had to I had to just accept my life um as it was unfolding 
And my mom became an advocate for my sister because at that time, um, they the there weren't very many options educational education wise for her. Um, and and she, of course, it wasn't in the era of institutionalization, but it was still an era where there weren't um, options for her to be mainstreamed, right? Nowadays there are. And my mom was on steering committees. She was involved in um, a lot of the movement to um, allow students with disabilities access to um, classrooms where the majority of the students were not, they didn't have disabilities, right? So that they could interact, so that they could learn how to be in this world. My mom really, understood that. And I think because of that, um, she taught me a number of things that I, I'm very grateful for. Well, she she sounded like an amazing lady. And uh, thank you again for just sharing her story uh, with us. And I know you have a busy afternoon uh, there coming up in Las Vegas, so we, we won't keep you uh, much longer here. So thanks again so much, Autumn. Yeah, thank you for um, uh, giving me the opportunity to speak about this. I hope that it um, those who are listening will find this helpful. Yeah, I know they will. We really enjoyed chatting with you. So we'll, we'll talk to you later on. Okay. Yeah, thank Bye-bye. you, Autumn. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, she talked about how anticipatory grief support helped her. And, you know, like we kind of touched on earlier, we have a, a support groups here at Life Path Hospice uh, that can help with anticipatory grief. So uh, from your perspective, Jeannie, kind of talk about how that group setting helps. Yeah, I started a support group for anticipatory grief just to help people like Autumn so that they have a they have a place where they can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it, it's, been, it's been really helpful uh, to get people together. And I find that the conversation never lulls. They're, they're able to get together. They're able to share stories. A lot of times they share resources, mm-hmm. um, places where they can, uh, where they can maybe even names of people that help them out with something. Uh, so it, it can be tremendously helpful because it's showing other people in the same situation that, uh, that you're not alone, you know, going back to that whole, that whole thought process of not being alone, um, because that's the worst feeling. And for most of the people who are in this position, this is the first time they've ever been a caregiver. This is the first time that they've ever had to go through that, that big emotional, uh, and and physically taxing job, mm-hmm. um, and they do it out of love. That's what's just so that always strikes me when I go through the journey with a caregiver is just how much love is there at every step of the way. Um, they're they're being that caregiver for their loved one, um, and they never lose sight of that hope. They never they never lose that connection, um, even when the person is declining and it and it doesn't look good. They still have that connection. They they tend to adjust. Right. Now, when they're not in that group setting, when they're not talking with their bereavement specialist, when it's just them and their family, what can that family say? You know, what can the family tell that primary caregiver? What can they say to them to kind of help with this anticipatory grief? You know, um, many times the family, other family members and friends will say, let me know if you need anything. Mm-hmm. And that's their heart is completely in the right place. Sometimes a caregiver, though, doesn't know what they need. Mm -hmm. So offering something specific, like saying, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come over uh, Wednesday night and bring you dinner. Mm -hmm. Or um, have you gotten out lately to run to the store? Let me come over and Mm -hmm. sit with your loved one. Just be there so you can get out for a little bit and run to the store or run to the doctors or whatever you need to do for yourself. 
um, just try to try to be a little um, maybe a little bit proactive and say mm-hmm. think about what might benefit that person because as a caregiver your brain goes in a million different directions right. you're not always and right. I can tell you this absolutely that the person that they're least thinking of is themselves right and I think that's so important, too, because we touched on it earlier. It's it's always hard for some people. They may feel awkward. They may not know what to say, mm-hmm. what to do in those situations for that person who's going through this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's just, the, yeah, it's just the minute by minute, day by day things. Mm-hmm. It's the small things right. that really help. Right. And knowing that you're there. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much again, Jeannie, for taking the time to talk to us about this. Was there anything else you just wanted to add about anticipatory grief, what our families should know uh, going forward? Uh, if you're starting to feel that stress, talk to your social worker or your chaplain. See, um, see what kind of resources are available. For our LifePath families, I have an, the, my anticipatory grief group meets twice a month on Zoom. I have it on Zoom so it's easy. All you have to do is just log on in. Uh, and. Uh, see if see if you have some of those resources available to you awesome all right well thank you so much Jeannie. you've been listening to the chapters of life podcast produced by chapters health system one of the nation's premier providers for home health hospice grief services and everything in between again our goal with this podcast is to educate caregivers and patients so thank you for listening and until next time be kind be safe and be well